0: This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Wednesday, October 16th, 2019. My guest is Daniel Bader of Android Central. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Hey, Miriam. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So, big week. We were both at the Google event yesterday. Uh, I'm still in New York. You're back home because you live much closer. Uh, So, what's your takeaway overall?
1: So, it's interesting because there still seemed to be a bunch of surprises, even though we knew everything going into it, right? Yeah. You know, the, the products were a known quantity, but I think once we got our hands on them, once we Got a chance to see the demo area. It was it was really impressive.
0: Yeah, I felt the same way. I went into it very kind of like setting my expectations very low, and I feel a little more uplifted now that all of it is said and done. Yeah,
1: I yeah. would I would say that's fair. Um, you know, the products are always better than the leaks. I think that bears out every year, and Google especially has a reputation. Um, not necessarily of over-delivering on the products. And I think we'll talk about that. You know, last year, there were some disappointments with the Pixel 3 and before that with the Pixel 2. But I just think the presentations are really impressive. I think Google does a fantastic job um, sort of disseminating their message, whether people agree with their message or not. And the overall just like the smoothness of the event was apparent, right? Once the keynote was over, we got to go and play with the devices, and they're really, really lax about what we do in that room, right? We were able to just walk around with the phones. nobody was babysitting us. It was really different to say, a Samsung or a Huawei event where everything is like either tethered down, or there's like a one, one-to-one ratio of employee to journalists uh, when, the, when they're like looking over your shoulder to see what you're doing with the phone.
0: I agree. And I think I want to, you know, I don't want this to be a Google love fest. I have some things I want to, I just want to make it clear to the audience here, but, but to get started for me, what I felt this time as an, as a presentation is I feel like Google has finally found a rhythm and a voice and kind of a, really a brand for pixel. Um, and you really felt that this time, I kind of started feeling it a little bit with the two and then a little even more with the three and now with the pixel four, it's like, it's strong. It's there it's clear. I don't necessarily like it and agree with all of their takes on things, but it's nice to see them kind of gel a personality because Google has always been this weird, weird, malleable blob in terms of their presentation to the world, you know? And and this is gelling it for me. And I, I know this is technical, but I want to really give a kudos to the people who planned this event in terms of the stage, the lighting and the presentation, because holy crap, the lighting was insanely good. Like I have never been in a place where I've taken photos with a phone where every photo I took with any phone I tried came out good. Like I didn't have to edit for like, overexposed or underexposed shots because somehow the person on the stage and the stage itself was lit just as evenly as the display that was overhead. You know what I'm saying? That never happens, right? And 100%. I was I was like, wow. And so I remember that being the case last year as well, but not quite to this extent. Like I was like, whoever did this, I mean, this is the way the vein of my existence when I do uh, live blogging as it were, live tweeting is what I do of these events with my phone. So yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was there were some lulls. The presentation definitely, um, you know, ebbed and flowed. I think there was a portion in the right after Rick Osterloh did his introduction. There was a portion where Google talked about sustainability, uh, recycling, design. That uh, the present the presenter was not quite as dynamic as perhaps some of the others. And you know, I think the message was was really really strong. You know, Google is. Doubling down on recycled materials. You know, all of the nest products use some percentage of recycled material of recycled plastics this year, which is commendable. There's a $150 million investment in renewable energy sources that they're putting towards um, markets that don't typically focus on renewable energies. But again, this is all just marketing, right? This is just a way of Google patting itself on the back mm-hmm. and saying that we're doing. A great job. And a lot of that, I think, was a response to Apple typically doing the same thing at its own presentations.
0: Oh, I have to say that as much as I think Google found its own voice, I also feel like there's a lot of perils in their voice and some of Apple's, but it's still their distinct personality. Uh, in fact, my tweet was, I quote, something at Google, something sustainable, something windmills. Smiley, My <laughs> my hashtag model three approves. Hashtag made by Google. <laughs> that totally. was my tweet. And that was a photo of that windmill uh, sunset photo that they had on the uh, on the screen. Um, I do want to kind of dive into the more meaty stuff, if you don't mind, though, because I kind of want to start by talking about my something that my listeners are well aware of, but I don't think I've ever expressed it to you, Daniel, is my Stockholm syndrome around being a Pixel user and how the Pixel 4 affects that. Like... I have a love-hate relationship with my Pixel devices. And I've had this for a while now, and I can never seem to get over it. Like, I'm still daily driving a Pixel, despite my, you know, some really serious frustrations at times with the product. But I still feel that there's so much joy and goodness there that I kind of feel like, you know, I've, I've learned to like my captors, basically. That's kind of the joke, right? I get it. Yeah, so I I, do. I haven't really... Just to be clear, I've played with the Pixel 4. You might be a little bit ahead of me. You might be actually using it now because I haven't unboxed mine yet. I still need to do an unboxing video. But I have spent time with it. And I also feel a little more positive now that I've spent time with it than pr- prior to the event. Um, and so there's a bunch of things I'm happy about and a bunch of things I'm not happy about. And I'm sure you have your laundry list as well. Um, do you want to start with your laundry list, you pick pros and cons, I don't know, just tell me what you feel they've done better, what you feel that you're kind of scratching your head about and maybe what you feel that has changed in your use of the device for the last uh, 12 hours.
1: Yeah, I mean, the phone is, um, it's a very utilitarian product and, and as every Google product is, um, You know, the unboxing experience is not flashy, The setup experience is pretty straightforward. Um, This feels like a Google phone. I got the black version, which is glossy on the back. Not a huge fan of that. Um, I would have preferred the matte finish on the white or the orange version. The screen is great. You know, the 90 hertz display is excellent. The quality of the OLED panel is excellent across both phones this year. Um, Our our friends at Android Police, uh, Ryan Hager, he actually did like a a technical test on the screen to see whether its black levels were consistent uh and they are they're much better and more consistent across the gamut than uh the Pixel 3 and that phone was much better than the Pixel 2 as we know the Pixel, oh two, God, the screens Pixel were 2 was disasters
0: I honestly never had any issues with the 3 but the 2 uh had a lot of issues with that screen and I'm not a screen picky person because my eyes aren't very good I can you know I can live with 1080p screen all day long and even slight imperfections is something I can kind of brush away because I don't I don't notice, but even the two was like, oh no. So yeah, the three was okay. And supposedly the four, and they did say that in the keynote, they said the four was the best display they've ever made, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's obviously not their own display. It's probably a Samsung display as we'll find soon, <laughs> but you know, the 90 Hertz uh, refresh rate does make a difference even though it's dynamic. So you can't force it unless you go into into the developer options
0: oh interesting
1: um yeah uh, xda developers they found a, an override so that you can force 90 hertz on all apps which i think i'm gonna do just coming from the oneplus 7t i love it it's it's amazing um the overall build is great i love the mats, the matte black sides it's really really easy to grip i actually like the camera design don't hate me i really think it does not look as bad no i don't hate it in either person i don't mind and i don't know the ch- the chin forehead discrepancy thing is is it is what it is cuz like face unlock is super fast and i um you know there's some security concerns around that there's no option in the current build to force your eyes to be open to unlock your phone i think that was going to be added in a later build but yeah overall i think this is a really nice looking phone and there's a lot to like here
0: right absolutely um for me the thing that stands out now that i've touched it and used it is how nice it feels in hand i'm surprised actually um it's hard to tell what materials this phone is made of which i don't like <laughs> i like my materials to be nice and cold and you know non-organic so um in the sense of like uh glass and metal and stone i don't i'm not a big fan of plastics and well, plastics are not organic, but you know what I'm saying. Like, the thing about this is weird is it feels like a rubberized back, but it's glass, right? It is glass, yeah. It's, it's, but it feels rubberized. If you run your fingernail on it, it feels like it's got soft touch finish on it.
1: Yeah. Google's good at that. I mean, last year too, with the glass back, there was that matte, you know, yeah, but last
0: year it was like clearly matte. It was clearly etched matte. This year, you don't know when you touch it um, if it is glass or not. And actually I'm hoping it's not some kind of paint or finish on the glass because that's going to come off eventually. And it's going to look like hell. I don't know if you've ever seen those uh, soft coated plastics. Um, Anyway, we'll see. In the edge, it's hard to tell whether the edge is a really high quality machine polycarbonate that's really high density or if it's aluminum because you can't see any antenna bands.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it is aluminum. We know it's aluminum. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It is interesting. Google's done a really good job. I think, you know, they're they the same thing with the Pixel book. They've painted over a lot of the lines. So right. I think the, that's what they've done. The
0: Pixel Book is magnesium and it doesn't feel like it. It feels like plastic to me. And and I know I I trust them. Like it's just I really don't like it when a phone feels like plastic or a laptop feels like plastic when it's made out of metal. Like the first thing I can think of is Magnesium laptops like ThinkPads, right? ThinkPads are, I've been magnesium forever, and they still have that soft-touch black finish on them, and that's a coat, and that's basically think of think of a ThinkPad with rounded edges and a non, and I guess there is a black version, so a black finish or a pinkish finish, and that's what the Pixelbook Go looks and feels like, and I'm not 100% convinced I like that better than the alum, the, the raw aluminum and silicone. Of the Pixel Book, but I don't want to switch to the Pixel Book just yet. I just have a few more things I want to talk about on the Pixel Four. So my, my thing that I liked about it in it, my hands-on was the the way it felt in hand and the way it looks. I've, I'm thankfully my review in it is the what's coral? Is that the color? What's it called?
1: Uh, oso orange.
0: Oso orange. So I have the oso orange for better or worse. With I'm get so this, jealous. With get this. So it's a Pixel Four XL oso orange with a. Or the yellow case to go with it. A weird yellow leather case. <laughs> I'm like, this is gonna be quite the fun when I pull it out of my pocket, right? Because I'm not gonna not put a case on it. Um they have a little leather yellow leather case in the in the in the bag. Um and so anyway, the, I'm di- I'm digressing. What I'm getting to is that the design I like the design a lot. Like I'm very torn of this material and the coating of the materials. I'm not sure I like the coating, but I will go with this design. This is a cool design the camera pod i feel kind of meh about like not like not good or bad I, i'm just generically okay with it because um i think apple did it better to be honest with you like i feel like that that's the way they did the square pod on the iphone at least on the pro is it's like in your face and it's like here here's this looks like you know one of those tri barrel uh video uh cameras from the 50s you know when television used cameras with three lenses, and they could rotate the lens. It looks like you're facing one of these when you're looking at like an iPhone camera pad pod. But this is much more subtle. This reminds me more of the square pod on the Mate 20 Pro, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Apple leaned leaned into it, uh, whether, you know, for better or for worse.
0: I know some people hate it, and I get it. I, I don't, I think this is a very personal thing. I will never be upset for anybody hating the, the camera pods on back of phones because like i like round ones more than square ones i don't like the lined the inline ones very much like the samsung galaxy ones uh, so my favorite right now is like the uh one plus 7t and the mate 30 pro and the the vivo n nex3 <laughs> right now i'm kind of into that vibe or or the lumia 1020 but that oh, was yeah. that Old was school. a little overdone because the phone was so small it just felt out of proportion on that one
1: you know what i'm saying you know what's weird to me though, Miriam, is what? is like the fact that I don't have a fingerprint sensor on the back to rest my finger on. Exactly. It's weird. I,
0: I I was gonna bring that up. So I haven't used the phone yet, so this hasn't been an issue in my just hands on because all these phones were unlocked. Um. But yeah, how is that? How is how is that solely chip combined with the the, you know, in face the three D face ID working for you? Is it better than Apple or is it? On par with Apple. like is, is it transparent? Do you not notice it?
1: Oh, it's not. It's, it's totally transparent. It's faster than Face ID because the screen automatically turns on when you approach the phone. Of course. So that's, you know, you don't have to tap the screen like you do on an iPhone. And uh, it is faster, but uh, it may be at the expense of some security because you can unlock it with your eyes closed.
0: Oh, and there's no setting to force that.
1: Not yet. The Vietnamese leaks, the ones that came out a few weeks ago, they looked at the security settings and there was that feature. Huh. So it may have been used. they may have been using a dog food build um that is not available to the public yet. And I'd imagine Google will either add that before a public release next week or just put it out in a future update. But I have no doubt Google is, you know, figuring out the kinks and will update it.
0: Yeah. I mean I Look, I'll, I think the thing for me is, and I've talked about this with with Renee Ritchie at IMORE, or rather at Vector, uh, who is part of your, you know, little posse over there at Android Central in some weird way, right? Because of mobile oh, nations.
1: yeah, we're coworkers, uh, of
0: course. So I talked to Renee about this over the years. I mean, we we all go way back, as you know. And I think the future of authentication on a phone is a multifaceted future. I think it's a future where you have sensors all over the front and back of the phone like touch sensors like essentially fingerprint scanners um and you have uh, optical and other radar lidar whatever sensors for for 3d mapping that are combined into you pick up a phone by just touching it it has an idea who it is it might not have a full fingerprint or a full 100 percent confidence like every sensor gives a level of confidence on who it is and if together combined, they give you a 99.9 level of confidence then it unlocks the phone. You know what I'm saying? This is where we're going. So I'm a little concerned with this weird thing that's happened with Apple through two years ago and now Google of switching fully to optics or radar or LiDAR or, you know, because essentially, you know, projecting an array of dots, which is what Apple's doing, is, is essentially LiDAR. Uh, it's just a different way of doing it. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm concerned that we should combine the two, uh, and I'm not saying that it's. I don't think we have the technology for that because right now you'd have to have an in-display or a rear fingerprint scanner, and it would all have to be in one place, and that doesn't make sense. But when we can develop entire capacitive surfaces that can catch a palm, a part of a palm print, part of a fingerprint by just you touching the phone, you know, and combining that with um, a visual ID, I think it's going to be you know, the most secure that we've ever had, right? So I think this is a step in the right direction. But taking sli- like, it's two steps forward, one step back, in a way, like, I'm I'm on board, I want to try it, I, I, I'm okay with it. But I feel like, because it's an Android device, and we have a legacy of a fingerprint um, technology that I think is actually pretty good, um, I would have liked to see an optional alternative in case you didn't want to do that, right?
1: Right. Uh, and, you know that's something that I've I've thought about a lot, right? Like in the in the early days, there are going to be apps that haven't been updated to support the new face unlock APIs. So banking but apps think, in particular.
0: I think these apps. No, I think they're just going to work because they're they're talking to the secure enclave and they're getting a signature from the secure enclave that says this is valid. It, it does. I don't think it makes any difference. It's basically the apps talk to a black box and the black box says authenticated or the black box says not authenticated that's it right like because that's exactly how you keep that stuff secure right, right. so I- I'm pretty sure that that's not I- everything's just gonna work out of the box
1: it, it it doesn't though the problem is it's an API so technically that's correct you have the same um, checks and balances with the secure enclave they don't treat a fingerprint or a face ID any differently but the apps themselves have to update to the latest um, Android SDK ah, okay. to be, o- be able to 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 identify the new API, and if they haven't, the app will just ignore it and won't allow you to oh. log in authentically. So, have uh, you found
0: anything that doesn't work yet? Like I use everything with fingerprints, my bank everything,
1: e- everything except one password. So, none of my banking apps, none none of you know. There's a I think five or six apps. Google sent us a statement this morning um, that gave us the list, and it's not very long. Um, I'll give you the list right now. It's um, Dashlane, Keeper, Password Safe, Robinhood, and 1Password. That's it. It's five apps. That's not good at all. So all of the banking apps, right? The ones that you use every day. that's what I use a fingerprint. Those are not going to work. You
0: don't understand. My Tesla is fingerprinted.
1: Yeah, that's bad. So you'll have to use either a PIN or your full password every time.
0: That means I'm not switching to a Pixel 4 until they fix that. I cannot do it. Like I do so many, like I use my fingerprint multiple times a day for authentication on my phone at this point. And passwords is the least of it. It's like banking. Uh, I mean, how, how many apps do I have? Like almost anything like United Airlines, if I want to log in and change something in my reservation, it's fingerprinted.
1: Right. And just think think about, um, you know, it's such a trivial thing for app, for app developers, but how long will these big corporations take to push out that update cuz it's you know things break when you when you point to an, a new android uh, sdk there are dependencies that you have to check for and if some of those dependencies break older version you know older phones um and those older phones are not able to use particular features they're just not going to do it so google is pushing developers to update their apps By next year, January 2020 is, I think, when they're giving devs a cutoff. But for the intervening four months, that's going to be hell for a lot of us who rely on apps with these biometric APIs.
0: Well, I think, you know, I don't have any too many obscure ones. Like, you know, my banks and my United Airlines and my Tesla will be fine. I mean, the Tesla is only needed when I want to do major changes. So just getting in the car, I won't need that. Um, But, yeah, it's... uh, that's problematic. I really thought that they would have done it completely transparently. Wow. Well, anyway, I mean, you know, uh, you touched on something earlier that, that kind of resonated with me a bit, is that the 90 Hertz, I didn't even mention the 90 Hertz in my in my uh, hands-on video yesterday. I kind of forgot about it because on that phone, it's just, it's like now that I have had it on the OnePlus 7T for a while, and I use it all the time, I just, it's so good, and but it's also so normal to me that I kind of feel like, okay, it's there. But yeah, it's it's definitely makes a difference in terms of a user experience. Do you have you played them with them side by side, the 7T and the Pixel 4 yet? Like do they both feel as fluid? Because I think a lot of it on the OnePlus is optimized uh build of Android 10, right? Like they optimize the crap out of their OSs, right?
1: Yeah, this is not nearly as smooth. And I, I'm not to say that you know, one ninety hertz is more hertzy, right? Like it's the same, right? But Google clearly doesn't employ the ninety hertz in as many areas. Right. So, for example, on Twitter, um, I I don't I don't even know. Like, I don't think it's using ninety hertz. I, I I don't actually. I can I can say right now it's not. Um So there are areas of the of the UI where it does feel smoother, but compared to the OnePlus phones, I think they use a much heavier hand and. I, that's my preference because 90 hertz all day. I also think on a phone this size, right, with a 2,800 million power battery, I'd prefer them to be more uh, careful and deliberate yeah. where they use it because this battery is small enough and 90 hertz eats up battery like crazy.
0: Yeah, and you're talking about the small Pixel 4. Uh The bigger one has the 3,700 million power, which again is very average at best, right? These battery sizes... Even though it's a Snapdragon eight fifty five, are little mm, could be better, you know. It's on my to be to be improved list. Same with the RAM. Six gigs was much needed. My again, my my Stockholm syndrome. A big part of it is my f- biggest amount of my frustration on my Pixel Three XL has been running out of RAM, and and it manifests itself in. Uh, you know i'm on twitter i'm typing in a a reply i get interrupted by a notification of something that's critical i go to it i do something else i get a bunch of apps running i eventually get carried away doing something else something else something else finally i remember i was tweeting i go back to twitter and twitter restarts and my answer is lost right this happens pretty much once a week to me on my pixel 3xl and there's nothing worse than that right It's, it's all ram it's just because it's bumped the app out of ram and six gigs Feels better. Of course, it's better. Like I'm not gonna argue about it. Like I'm welcoming that change. But um, where's my eight gigs,
1: Google? Right. It really. It does not. There is. There are a bunch of decisions around this phone that I uh, that I understand. Right. With Google being relatively conservative in the decisions it makes, for example, there's no Wi-Fi six on here. Uh, not a big deal. Most people don't need Wi-Fi six. I However. 6 gigs of RAM in a market where this is being put up against the best of the best from Samsung and Huawei?
0: Never mind this. I'm about to publish a story on Geekspin. Six Android flagships under $600. All of them have more RAM than that. Every single one has 8 gigs. So where, where's your excuse, Google? It's like you're paying $799 minimum, $899 for the bigger one minimum, for 64 gigs of storage version with 6 gigs of
1: RAM? Get out of town. The only the only thing that I can think of is that more RAM uses more energy, right? It just it has Yeah, but it, then it put a bigger
0: battery in then. I mean OnePlus One Plus is a forty two hundred milliamp, whatever four thousand milliamp battery and like in their seven T or seven pro, I mean the seven T is thirty eight hundred. You know, it's like make it bigger. I I just feel like they're I don't know. So I,
1: I talked to Google about this. I had an interview with the uh you know, one of the heads of the Google Pixel team. And he said that the Pixel 4 series is already thicker than the Pixel 3. And a lot of that comes down to the stuff at the top, right? It's yeah. the, the radar it takes up a lot of space. This is the smallest. They could have made it, but it's still massive. For sure. Um, and that really ate into how how big the, the battery could have been. Right. Well, you know, I I mean,
0: again, this is you were talking about the pros and cons. This is like my my gut feeling is RAM is lacking, even though it's better. And storage at 64, you're laughing. It's like when remember when Apple made 16 gigabyte phones at their base a while back and we were all rolling our eyes. I roll my eyes at 64 gigs. I'm sorry. 128 is kind of the starting point these days. I feel like I used to not fill up 64, but I'm close to it now.
1: You know? Yeah. You know what? It just it feels rude. Yeah. It at feels that price rude. it if you're, feels rude. You know? If you're charging this much money for a phone, it feels rude. You know, it's it's not like the Pixel 3A starts at 32 gigs, right? Yeah. It's a no. $399 phone. Default yeah. 64. You're right. There's no excuse.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's that's you know some of the things that I like and dislike. So the 90 hertz is good. The in fingerprint, uh, the of display or in display fingerprint or rear fingerprint is, I think, bad. I think having both would be good, especially in this interim period uh, until the apps can adapt to use the Face ID. I do welcome Face ID, though. I'm not one of those people who thinks Face ID is a bad thing. I've used it on iPhones. I think it's good. I like it. It's a really, it's a secure and great solution. I just want to see both. Um, battery, man, not so good. Could be better. I like the design, but I'm a little torn on this the way the materials feel. Um the, the big question now is for me is the camera, right? So obviously I, I think that uh what was the guy's name? Leroy was his uh, last on, name. On stage? Yeah. Um he was awesome. An ex-Stanford or maybe still current Stanford professor. Mark Levoy. Levoy, not Leroy. Yeah. Mark Levoy was one of the best speakers at this uh at this presentation yesterday, he really had me glued to my seat, like looking and going, wow. Um, He spoke about all computational photography and what they've been doing and how they've been doing it. And he was, not only was he a great presenter and he was really kind of like, you wanted to listen to him. That's probably from teaching at a university for 30 years, but he knew his stuff. And I think what he said made a lot of sense. All that being said, I'm sure, The camera is going to kick ass. I think it might even surpass the iPhone 11 in low light now with this new light sight. Uh, The tests will tell when the reviews come out. But I am bummed that they didn't put an ultra wide lens in there. And instead, they put a a telephoto and a crappy telephoto that in the sense that it's 2x, it's got 1 micron pixels, an f-stop of two point five 2.4 right f over 2.4 and you know you're right that we've seen google blow us away with kind of generic hardware on the camera systems like the main sensor has not i don't it doesn't look like the main sensor is any different 12 megapixel f over 1.7 uh 1.4 micron pixels they didn't put i thought they were going to put an imx 586 in there and optimize the crap out of it um that that awesome 48 megapixel sensor that some companies like Honor with the 20 Pro have really made it work incredibly well. I thought they were going to do that, but no, they stayed, you know, with true and proven technology. And then they added a kind of crappy 16 megapixel telephoto to it. I know the hardware doesn't mean anything because they do so much computational stuff, but I kind of feel like I would have much liked, much rather liked a wide angle myself, no matter what they said on stage, because they justified that nobody needs a wide angle. And I think that's wrong. Everybody so here, needs a wide angle.
1: <laughs> here's here's my take on this, right? Um, because I've I've have i I've used the camera now and I and I see I see what Google is thinking. Um so every other phone manufacturer with a ultra wide or a telephoto lens, you explicitly have toggles in the camera app for one X, two X, or you know, with Huawei or OnePlus, 3X, 5X um 0.5x right you can actually press those automatically to go to the different cameras with google that's not what they do it's a it's a continuity it's a system so for example you slide from 1x all the way to 2x and then beyond and they do not give you the option of going directly to 2x why because the 2x camera is only meant to enhance their um their Super Res Zoom feature. Got it. Right? Yeah. It's meant to give you better telephoto, regardless of whether you're at 2x, 5x, or
0: 10x. Or even 1.5x.
1: Exactly. Right. So this is their way of providing more data rather than giving you just a 56 millimeter equivalent focal length. And I think that strategy makes way more sense. If you look at it in a googly way, right? It gives them depth data for portrait mode, which they didn't have no, before. I get it, yeah. And it and, and all that, if you if kinda of look at it holistically, this is Google at its most like counterintuitive and yet it makes way more sense.
0: And I agree, but at the same time, why do not why not start at point six or point five, right? I mean, at that point, why not have three cameras and blend the three? Apple's doing it. They're blending them very seamlessly. When you zoom back and forth, you barely see the switch.
1: Um, yeah, don't get me wrong. i i would have rather pref- I would have rather had an ultra wide. I think they're way more useful. That's but- what I'm
0: saying. I mean, it's nice to do what they're doing. I applaud the computational efforts in that. It's very impressive. But is it what people need and want most of the time? Like I was, I'm still in New York, and I was walking around yesterday and today. And every time I wanted to take a photo, almost every single photo I took was a w- ultra wide because. There's nothing I can do. everything is so close to me that I have to pretty much to get any sense of the scale, because I'm in ta- around Times Square right now. It's very good for photos. It's kind of tickling my creative fancy. I'm like I'm shooting ultra wide all the time, and I can't even imagine what it'd be like to be with a phone like an iPhone 10S that doesn't have ultra wide or, or the Pixel 4 for that matter. It feels like I agree with what you're saying, and I get where Amazon Amazon what the hell, I get where Google's coming from, but I feel like it feels like their phone is last year's phone. You know, it feels like last year Apple had a, you know, or for the last whatever, since the iPhone 8 or 7, no, 6S, right? was the first with tele. (laughs) For a number of years now, Apple's had a flagship with two cameras with a telephoto and a main lens. And, oh, hey, look, here we are finally doing the same. I mean, that's what it kind of feels like to me. It feels like they're playing catch up. And yet, at the same time, yeah, they're not in so many ways. You know, like intellectually, I'm well aware that what they're doing is kind of tremendous. But when I go out there to shoot stuff, when you're going to shoot pictures of your kid, Daniel, you're going to want that ultra wide. That's the reality.
1: So I I get that, and I I kind of agree with you. But none of the ultra wides, except for Huawei, maybe yeah, maybe Huawei. Maybe Apple do a good enough job with detail that makes me want to shoot people with it. So I'd much rather have a really good main sensor, you know that that gets skin tones right, gets detail, gets enough detail uh, to make it worthwhile. You know, you you said shooting photos of my daughter, like that's basically all I do now. And I found that very few phones get capture enough facial detail to make those photos enjoyable to look at. And Apple does it, Google does it, and Huawei does it, but you have to tweak Huawei's Huawei's, yeah, post. Huawei is,
0: is one of those that I, I agree. It's not quite there. Although I hear, and I haven't tried it yet, I hear that the Mate 30 Pro, the unobtainium phone, <laughs> uh, is, uh, and I say that because of the history of the podcast now of me talking about the, using the Honor 9 9- X pro with GMS or sorry, without GMS and, and all the troubles, uh, you and I had a conversation about that yesterday. That's why it's it's an unobtainium phone at this point, but the mate 30 pro from what I hear really has stepped the game up for the, um, for the ultra wide, because it's using the same, I think 40 megapixel sensor that's in the main cam. And so it's tons of detail tons of computational potential, right? From all that data. Um, I don't have proof of that, but I hear from a number of people that I trust that it's really quite impressive. Um, And you're right. I mean, the problem with ultra wide is you get lens distortion, all kinds of issues. There's a lot of ultra wide implementations out there that suck. But look at what Apple's doing. Apple is the king of portraits, right? Apple is really the first company to understand that what we use our cameras really for. And I, I give them a credit for that. I feel like in the camera phone world, they're really the ones who've looked at, like, what are the use cases for our customers? And it's exactly what you described, your your kid, right? That's the use case for so many people, their kid, their dog, whatever. And, you know, the fact that Apple went ahead and put an ultra-wide in the Pro shows that, you know, they're serious about this and they think it's necessary. But w- more than that, more than that, and this is the thing that blows me away. Apple went ahead and put an ultrawide in the cheap phone, not putting a tele in the cheap phone. That goes completely against what I was expecting from Apple. I figured that they would take their legacy tech, you know, the stuff they'd been doing for a while for, since the iPhone 6S Max or Plus or whatever it was called, the big 6S six, six, six um with a telephoto and bring it to the 11 because that would have been the kind of the easy solution right but no 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 they went and put the ultra wide in there with the regular sensor not the tele and that's just kind of why i think that google missed the boat no no matter how good this implementation is going to be i don't think too many people are going to care about taking taking slightly better telephoto photos honestly it's going to be a party trick it's going to be like oh look at that i can match the uh uh the p30 pro with its 5x optical zoom now uh using super zoom with a 2x telephoto and it's going to fall apart in low light because it's going to have to rely on the main sensor in low light because the 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 the, the secondary sensor is a 1 micron f over 2.4 sensor and it's going to suck in low
1: light so here's my here's my take on this i don't actually think google cares about multiple cameras this is not a priority for them. It's about data. If you if you think about Google as a company, how do they how do they think about things? They don't think about things in terms of features like Apple does. They think about data and how much data can they accrue from the various bits of of of, of uh, you know hardware in their products. Um, and I'm not saying that like features themselves are not important. Obviously, with Motion Sense and Face Unlock, they are. Important enough. They have to tell a story after all. But I do think that when it comes to cameras, Google is just about getting as much data as possible to feed them back into their machine learning algorithms so that later on down the road, when they update their phones, they will take better photos the first time. Um, and that's what this is it's an exercise in getting more data. And if you look at it that way, the telephoto actually makes way more sense than the ultra wide because you're getting more valuable data. Uh, and, and again, like that's, that's my theory. And I think it makes sense in, in light of the pixel four, uh, but I also know it's going to be super disappointing to a lot of people, yeah, including I, me.
0: I agree with you. 100%. I think it does. It's very googly, but you know, the market is where it's at right now. And I, I feel like the pixel is not the most popular phone and it should be more, way more popular. And there's so many little things they could do to make it more popular. Um. At this price point which is reasonable but at this point you know here's my take i would rather see google sell this the big one for 9.99 like match the samsung's and apples of the world in the thousand dollar realm and give me an in-display fingerprint reader that i can use or not use give me a telephoto uh sorry a wide angle lens a third wide angle lens that i can or cannot use and let me decide um and and have a, a eight gigs of ram a minimum of 128 gigs of storage and really have a kick flagship and bump that battery to maybe 38 or 3900. This is not rocket science, you know. Samsung's doing it. Apple's doing it. um You know, Google should have no issues with their deep pockets to do this, and they could still get all their computational data and be all googly. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a cop out. I think we we're giving them at this price point we're giving them a pass because if you look at what OnePlus is doing, we're giving them a pass and I don't want to do that. If this phone was 699, I'd be like, totally fine. If this, this phone is not, it's 899, because I'm talking about the big one. And at that price, like, All the Googliness is nice, but uh, it doesn't help me when I want to take a photo and I don't have an ultra wide. And it doesn't help me when half of my banking apps don't work because uh, they have to update the the apps. And it doesn't help me when I run out of battery because the battery's too small. Like, you know, you and I review Android phones. We have to tell people what, they come to us all the time and say, what should I buy? Half the time I tell them to go buy an iPhone and and F off, right, (laughs) because that's what they really need. It's yeah, you know, I,
1: I see I see more pixels in the wild than I think, like I than I than I thought I would. Um than it makes sense to. Um, you know, I, I, I think we haven't discussed a couple of things that are important here. This is the first pixel flagship release that's gonna be on all four US carriers. That is a huge deal. Right? So Verizon is still gonna be like Verizon is the most popular carrier in the US, and it's it's always gonna be that way. But T Mobile steals a lot of customers from Google. And you have people in their stores incentivized to sell particular phones. And I have no doubt that Google is working with T-Mobile to make sure that when you walk into a T-Mobile store or a Metro Metro by T-Mobile store, they're going to show you a Pixel 4 and it's fast face unlock and this weird gimmicky motion sense thing. And people are going to be impressed. And that's maybe the first exposure they'll ever have to a Pixel phone.
0: True that. Um, I hope that's the case, although T Mobile is also selling the OnePlus 7T, right? So tough sell there.
1: Is it though? It's a I think it's a totally different market, right? Like the 7T is a it's a big phone. It's still it's very like metal and I think it it, it appeals to enthusiasts, right? Um in right. I I'd argue that it's better value than the Pixel. Four, you're right that I, it's
0: also a big phone, and there is a Pixel 4, which is a small phone that feels really nice in hand.
1: I, 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 get, you're, you're, I you're, You make a really good point, though, Miriam, and I, I don't know how Google... This has been Google, like Google's biggest problem for years, and it's not getting any easier because competition is even, hard, is even more intense this year. Um, if you walk into a Timo store and you see a, a beautiful OnePlus 7T next to a Pixel 4, which kind of looks meh, ah, yeah, I don't know. That's a really hard sell,
0: and then there's the other problem, right? Like we're talking about the underdogs here in the room. There's also Samsung and Apple in the room, going, uh, "Hello, we exist and we make the best phones in the world." And arguably they do, since I know you're you're rocking a Note 10, small one, right now. And yeah. arguably they do because half the people at the event yesterday had iPhone 11s Pros.
1: Um, even even our colleague David Ruddick, who ru- who runs Android Police, was using an iPhone 11 Pro. That's some balls on him. I got I got to give him credit. So, that's just you know, because
0: Dave is a shit disturber and I love him for it. Yeah, he uh. is, but I mean I I had a
1: <laughs> I had an iPhone 11 Pro in my bag. Most Android spe- uh Stephen Hall from 9 to 5 Google also uses an iPhone 11 Pro. You know, all of us Android site runners we have iPhones, and there's a reason for that. It's because it's a really good freaking phone. This here is a really
0: freaking amazing
1: phone. Right, and if you ignore that, if you're just an Android fan person and think, hey, I, I'm not even going to pretend that the iPhone exists, you're doing yourself a disservice because you know you can't put your head in the sand and pretend that your family, your friends, the people that you are going to be arguing to buy an Android phone, they're just going to ignore you because the iPhone 11 Pro is the best iPhone that Apple's ever made. And there's a really, tan- you know, there's a more tantalizing reason to buy it this year than any previous year. So it's it it was important that Google get everything right on the Pixel 4 from the get-go. And I don't know, you tell me, is did they do that?
0: And I don't think so. And that's what I'm trying to say. Like, you walk into a T-Mobile store, that was the premise here, and you now have, oh, the new Pixels. Okay, great. But next to it is One 6T, 7 sorry, which is a big phone you know it's a different approach for sure but it's at the price point it's selling is like oh wow look i could save all this money and get all these specs right like and you you know that if you walk away with that phone it's a good it's a good freaking phone right it's not like in the old days where you could buy the phone that had the best specs for the money and you had a crappy experience we all know this is a good experience right
1: Possibly yeah, the absolutely. best
0: Android experience in terms of fluidity on any device ever made for Android, ever of all time. Right? That's a big deal. And then next to that, you have a Samsung Note 10 and you have a freaking iPhone 11 Pro. And what, you know, like I don't think it's going to fly. I just don't think it's going to fly. So, yes, we're going to see more pixels because it's going to be at more carriers. And I think we do see more pixels, but I live in San Francisco where a lot of people have pixels because a lot of people are in tech and a lot of people are Google users. But I also see a big majority of iPhones, even in the tech world, as you know from the journalists yesterday, a lot of them Android journalists using iPhones. And why do they use an iPhone? Because, well, it's brand new and shiny and it's also a very good phone this year. But the imaging on this phone, on the iPhone 11, any 11 you pick is so good. It's the first time that Apple has really been able to match and surpass in some places what Pixel has been doing. And so the truth will be in the pudding. Is the Pixel 4 able to hold its own now versus the iPhone 11 with one less camera um, no matter what Googliness you want to add to the equation, right? And yeah. that's what we're going to have to see. And then the other thing I think is a big, big deal here is that, you know, we have a bunch of cheaper players that are really disturbing and disrupting the market that are now available in U.S. carriers like like OnePlus. So it changes the game quite a bit. I think a lot of people use the iPhone and the creative people that we know, the journalists, even if they're Android people, because... For example, Instagram is a big part of what we do. And the Instagram app is so much superior on iOS than it is on Android, right? So yeah. in image quality and in every, in everything and in features. And so that's why a lot of people use it. I know that I pack an iPhone just in case because of that. It's like, I have an iPhone 10, it's no big deal, it's two years old, but it does the job. And that's the other thing, my iPhone 10 that's two years old runs as smoothly as one, my OnePlus 7T, okay? it's two years old and it runs as well as a brand new state of the art the most fluid ever of all time android phone i don't want to you know make a mess here but i was really hoping google could just like reset button here and like show us how it's done and they didn't do that
1: can they do that though it's their job to do that this is a Pixel, so they're making a piece of hardware, yeah, but, but it's still running Android. It's their Android.
0: job to show the rest of the world how to make an Android phone properly. OnePlus shouldn't be doing it for them.
1: Oh yeah, I I, I don't know what magic OnePlus puts in, in in Oxygen OS, but it really does feel smoother and just an overall better experience than than a Pixel. It's weird.
0: It's weird. Listen, we need to move on to the other stuff. <laughs>
1: Because totally. this yeah, show is really big, an hour is really an show, hour right? and
0: 15 minutes. Yeah, this is really like we covered a lot and we could go on forever. Don't worry, this is going to be an ongoing debate. The reviews won't be out for a little while. We have an embargo. So stay tuned for the reviews. You know, definitely stay tuned to Android Central, because they're going to have super deep coverage with phone camera comparisons, every stuff that I can't do because I don't have the time and resources. So um, I'll put links to everything in uh, the description below. But um, quickly talk about the Chromebook Go. Um, we touched on it a little bit in the material and the finishes um, how I'm hard torn about that. I, I do feel torn about this because I feel like this is, uh, I'm a big Chromebook person. I love Chromebooks and I'm a Pixelbook user right now because, well, they send me a review in it and it's honestly the best Chromebook ever made by a long shot. Um, even, I mean, the Pixel Slate was a disaster last year. Everybody agrees. Um, so I'm torn by this thing because 649, it's more affordable, but it's still not cheap. Like I think I feel like if they were going to make a cheap Chromebook, it should be 399, 499. Um, uh, it's really beautiful, and uh, the keyboard is exquisite. The trackpad is exquisite. That's true of the Pixelbook as well. The display though isn't very bright. It's 16:9, which I think is the wrong aspect ratio for a computer, yeah. uh, especially a portable computer. So for me, laptops should be 3.3 by 2, and if I feel there's a, obviously all the Macs are like that, and all the uh, a lot of the Pixel laptops up to now were like that, and some Windows PCs are like that, like the Surface uh, laptop, which I think is definitely potentially one of the best PCs ever made, especially the laptop three now. So the question is in that universe, where do you put a very nicely made but slightly flawed and not so cheap could be cheaper but cheaper already, but I'm kind of torn on the price.
1: Chromebook, go. How do you feel yeah, about it? I, you know, I, I've been using it this morning. I, I unboxed it, um, and it's uh, it's a good laptop. It's a quality Chromebook. It's, it feels pixely, pixel booky, like same keyboard, same high-quality trackpad. Um, the overall build quality is excellent, especially when you can get that same exterior for the entry level $649 price. Um, we talked about the magnesium uh, overlay. It's it's made of magnesium. Google says it's a cheaper material to use, but it does not sacrifice um, robustness, which I appreciate. You know, As you said, the ThinkPads have been magnesium for years, and it's lighter as a result. This is a really light laptop, and I love the fact that I can just throw it in my bag and kind of forget about it um, the deal breaker for me is gonna be that sixteen by nine screen. I just exactly I hate it. And it's Honestly, also it was com- so dumb.
0: It was so dark too. Like we were, I know we were in a bright place with a lot of sunlight, but it didn't hold a candle to any modern laptop that I know in the same environment. It was too dim.
1: Google says it's rated for 400 nits. That's nothing. Um,
0: 1000 nits is is a modern smartphone at its peak. 600 is yeah, an but average Yeah, Google, smartphone. I mean
1: sorry, laptop screens are not typically that bright, right? You don't need to be using them in, in in direct sunlight.
0: I agree, but a lot of modern laptops are at least 600 nits.
1: Totally. And this is this definitely feels dimmer than it should be. Um two USB-C ports, 12-hour battery life across the entire lineup including the 4K version. Uh the the black model is is fine. It's very nondescript. I'm really sad that the, um, the what's it called, pinkish? Um, slightly pink. Yeah, slightly pink is not available in, across the entire lineup. It's only for the more expensive models. And it's not available at launch. So every early adopter of the Pixelbook Go is going to be getting the boring black version. Um, which again, matte black, everything looks nice. But I don't know. I like that pink model
0: is that the is that a black one what they give you yeah
1: yeah, yeah and they're oh that's only that, that's the only color option right like um that's too you bad know, google it, it's it's you know it, i like the wavy bottom that's what google called it the wavy bottom makes it a bit more textured and easier to hold yeah um but overall you know i don't know what the strategy is right this is this is a back to basics chromebook in the sense that the pixel slate was a disaster they needed to reset and find their footing again. This isn't a 2-in-1. The screen doesn't flip back and become a tablet. This is a laptop. And for 650, you can get better Chromebooks. So, you know, Chromebook like the Chromebook lineup from Asus to Acer to Dell to HP, there are some really good options out there. And I'd argue that the the new Asus Chromebook Flip C434 which is a little bit cheaper, it's about $550, Uh, it's a better option than the Pixelbook Go. So, you know, I'm I'm not ready to review it yet. I haven't made my conclusions, but just from the outset, I think this will be, you know, it's not quite a pro Chromebook and it's not quite an entry-level Chromebook. It falls somewhere in between and I'm not sure who the buyer is for it.
0: That's exactly what I'm saying. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm excited that they made another Pixelbook and I'm excited that it's beautiful and it feels great. And I'm sure the battery life was going to be great based on my existing Pixelbook. But I'm a little torn about the positioning of the pricing and this display choice, uh, both in brightness and aspect ratio. That's basically my takeaway for the Pixelbook Go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of it. It's, it's, it's a Chromebook.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong. I mean, Chromebooks are cool uh but this one could just be a little better i think for the money or a bit cheaper basically you know um i want to talk about that voice recording app they showed us i know it, it leaked quite a bit before uh before the event but there's a voice there's a recorder app uh, built into the pixel 4 that uh i wonder if it's going to be downloadable
1: from the app store for other people uh, or if it's exclusive to the
0: pixel do you know
1: it is exclusive to the Pixel. Um, I'm not sure if it's exclusive to the Pixel 4. I think it is. I, I, I don't think it is. Okay, just um, Pixels. I think, it's, I think it's Pixel 4. Uh, oh, wait. I think it is exclusive to the Pixel 4 technically, but you can install it on previous versions by sideloading it. But you can install it, it on other
0: Android phones though, right? No. It, it, okay, yeah.
1: So anyway, I just want to touch on it very briefly
0: because it it's not the first... Voice recorder app out there that can transcribe in pseudo real time and then give you notes that are searchable, but it's definitely the best implementation of that I've ever seen, and it really shows Google's know-how with the assistant over the years of understanding natural uh, speech, natural language, human language, spoken language, and it's it's kind of mind-blowing because it also works offline. Um, I mean, it's just kudos. This is one of the things that kind of really was a highlight for me yesterday.
1: Isn't that weird, though, that, like, the highlight of a hardware event was an app that transcribes voice recordings in real time?
0: But, I mean, it's because it's something that we all could use more, right? Like, I mean, um, I... you could like imagine right now I'm recording this uh on uh, on on a laptop with this podcast with a nice condenser mic in a hotel room here in New York so it's going to sound good for my listeners but I'm also doing a backup recording on a phone just in case would it be great if I had a transcript I could put of the show right um if my both my guest and myself were running the uh the voice recorder we could just both have a transcript and I could like put it into the show notes or something for people who are hearing impaired it's it's it opens up all kinds of things that I think are pretty awesome. The searchability to me is is what Google shines at, so that it's kind of a perfect marriage, right?
1: It is, and what's interesting here is this isn't the first time a company's done this. There's a, a really good app called Otter on yeah, the that's right. Play yeah. Store, and that works great, but it's expensive if you want to do more than a few thousand words, and it's not great in terms of accuracy. Samsung actually includes a transcription option in its um Notes. in its voice recorder app but i used it yesterday during my meetings with google and it was bad like it yeah. was really really inaccurate to the point where it was barely usable so and it has a 10 minute maximum wow. the good thing about google is that it's all done on device right so you're not sending anything up to google servers and the phone is more is powerful enough that it'll do everything in relative real time and it's pretty damn accurate we know this because google's neural networks have proven really competent for just voice relay in general. If you want to transcribe uh, or if you want to like dictate a message to somebody, it just works and it's really reliable.
0: I mean, this is the thing people, I think a lot of lay people don't understand. And you know, you don't really have to be an engineer to get this, but maybe you do. I, I'm a man, <laughs> that's my background. So it's kind of hard for me to kind of separate it in my head when I see this stuff is that Machine learning only works well when the the sample data you give it, like the the learning data is massive, right? And right now, this is where Google is so strong with both imaging in terms of machine learning and voice, like voice recognition in terms of machine learning, because they have the biggest data sets in the world. Because people have been talking to Google Assistant forever now. And because people have been taking photos and feeding photos to Google uh, by having, letting Google index the web forever. And so the data sets are so much more massive than anything Apple and Huawei and Samsung have that they are just, you know, going to be better, period. And, you know, I'm sure there's a bit of Google sauce in there because they have some pretty mighty engineering backgrounds. But this is, this is the kind of stuff that shows you how hardware doesn't really matter right like at this point it's just a microphone um you talk about commodity hardware right the input is just a mic uh, but it's uh, it's fascinating to me and i think it's very exciting
1: i mean it just proves that these are this is google's strength um when i you know as as much as google dabbles in hardware i still think that it'll always dabble whereas with software it's where it shines and it comes back to data why are why is it why is its hardware good because of data? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we learned earlier this or earlier this summer that Google was going around parts of the country, in Atlanta, for instance, and asking people to share their facial data. They're, they're you know give uh, they were paying people five dollars for a facial scan. We now know that was for um, to f- the, the Pixel Four. And its face unlock feature to make it more accurate with different ethnicities, ages, etc. Um, you know, a little controversial, obviously, because we found out that the contractor was paying homeless people. But oh, wow. it was all for the purpose of making this face unlock feature faster and more reliable. They were using the data to make it more reliable. So there's nothing magic about anything that Google does with its hardware. It's just that it has more data because more people use Google than any other service on the on the planet, basically.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on those Pixel Buds uh, version oh 2.0? Oh my God. Really quickly I'm because so I want to touch on some other things. Yeah, me too. It's really a bummer that they announced, they kind of really pre-announced these for 2020, which is three months from now. Uh, and uh, the price was $179. Not even, spring. Yeah, 179 Marion. Spring of right? 2020. Is that the price?
1: Yeah, it's 179 so what's
0: your take on that? I mean, they do look a little bulky compared to the, you know, the, the standard bearer AirPods. They do not have active noise cancellation, or do they?
1: They do not. They they have passive noise cancellation um, with an ambient exhaust to mm. let in a little bit of outside um, audio so that okay. you don't feel like you're being suffocated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll push back a little bit because I, I got to not wear them, but I got to hold them and look at them. They're actually, um, the buds themselves are smaller than the Galaxy Buds. Okay. So they're pretty small, uh, shaped shaped like a, a Galaxy Bud, so not a long tube, but more like a, a bud that sits on your ear and sticks out a tiny bit. Uh, the case itself, about the same size as the AirPods
0: case. Yeah, it's really small. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: I I think they did a good job, especially coming from the originals, because, wow, those were bad.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to see where they take this. I'm not quite sure, uh, because the last ones were kind of such a disaster, but I'm hoping they can only go up from here. So, you know, yeah, I think it's cool. I'm excited about it. Um, anything else that stood out really quickly before we switch to a few little other more like maintenance news topics?
1: Look, I I mean, the Nest announcements were fine. Uh, the Nest Mini is basically the same thing as the company announced two years ago. My only major concern, it uses a barrel connector for power, not a um, USB-C cable, which is super weird. Yeah, why did they do that? Um, I think for, for cost savings. You know, Uh they put a more powerful amplifier and speaker inside. These DC barrel connectors are cheaper to manufacture. Uh, They don't have to pay the USB-C standards body to license the tech. So that is probably why they did it. Uh, Sucks either way. I think the Nest router is interesting. I think putting uh, basically a Nest Mini inside all of the access points is a stroke of genius and it puts Google Assistant in every room where there's one of these mesh um, access points. It's amazing.
0: I've said this forever that these mesh routers should all have a speaker built into them. But why doesn't the main one have a speaker? Because now you need a mini next to it. It doesn't make sense. So my
1: theory is that if you have a single Google Assistant speaker in your house, it's likely going to be either in your living room or your kitchen, where is which is close to where the main router is. So- I think that they probably did data to show, or they probably collected enough data to show most people already have a Google Assistant speaker near their main router, and it would just be doubling up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It does make sense. Plus, it's so cheap to get a a speaker anyway. Uh, What are they, $49 or something?
1: Yeah, $49. Uh, It's a nice upgrade, new color. There's like a sky blue color that looks really good. But other than that, it's basically the same product.
0: Yeah. So for me, that was exciting too. Um, I'm excited about the fact that it's wall mountable without an accessory. That's, I mean, I don't, I won't do it, but why, like, of course you do that. It's one of those duh moments, you know, like, why would you need an accessory to mount something on the wall? That's so Apple to have an accessory for everything. (laughs) But, um, yeah. So, um, In other news, I want to just shift to some kind of like things that I've come across in the last week or so that we didn't cover on the last podcast because the last podcast was a pretty heavy one because we talked about uh, Essential.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah, uh, you had uh, Florence Ion on. Yeah,
0: I don't know if you got a chance to hear that. But um, anyway, uh, OnePlus has some news. They had a new phone this week. Who knew? I mean, we all knew, of course. Um, The OnePlus 7T Pro, as we'd imagine, dropped uh like basically a week or two after the OnePlus 7T uh and it's exactly what you'd expect it's uh OnePlus 7 Pro with uh, and it's up 855 plus uh what else is different oh and the new faster charge uh warp charge 30t that's it right there's nothing and, else to yeah it.
1: slightly bigger battery
0: Okay how much bigger is it now
1: Uh it's 85 milliamp hours bigger
0: Well that's not not much, not but, much. yeah but it's something um but anyway, I think that uh, I think that's cool. Uh, it's not coming to the US. That's not cool. And they have a McLaren edition, which is decked out with, what, 12 gigs of RAM or something. And it's also not coming to the US. And I can't even get a review in it. I've asked Eric. I'm like, come on, Eric. You can give me a review. And he's like, nope, not sold in the US. Cannot give you a review. like, come on.
1: Yeah, they're very strict about that. It's so weird.
0: I don't get it. It's like, don't you want some attention on these things? I guess they don't. Uh, so where are they selling this thing if they're not selling it in the U.S.? Which is weird because, you know, they sold the other one only in the U.S. And then they sold the 7T only in the U.S. I, 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 don't, get, I don't get their strategy there.
1: No, me neither. I think um, it comes down to carrier partnerships. So they have a a, a partnership with T-Mobile in the yeah. U.S.
0: Price point is important for that, yeah.
1: And um, they didn't want to replace the 7 Pro, which is still a fine phone, with uh, the 7T Pro, which is... Uh, it's, you know slightly finer phone um and the 7 the, the OnePlus 7 never came to the US so they replaced the 6T with the 7T and now they have the 7T and the 7 Pro in the US uh really weird strategy honestly Miriam it this is the first year where I'm like what are you doing OnePlus yeah and, and then I actually I don't think they'll do it again I don't think this will be repeated next year I think they'll figure it out
0: I hope so. I mean, why should we, especially, I can understand in some markets, like to me, the 7 not being available in the US kind of made sense, you know, but the 7T Pro not being available, like why would you want two options? You just sell it on lock. You don't have to have a carrier partnership. You don't even have to offer it to T-Mobile. Just sell it on your website for the fans, you know, like some people are going to buy it. I don't know. It's just weird strategy. And then the other thing is that, uh, you know, There's not going to be a 5G version of that phone. So clearly, you know, as we all have said, you and myself and almost every tech journalist that covers mobile for months now, do not bother with 5G on a phone right now. And I think OnePlus was super gung-ho and they're feeling it because they probably didn't sell many of those 5G phones at all.
1: I don't think they sold more than a handful of them. And, you know, 5G is still a massive question mark, especially in North America. So not surprising. But yeah, I I really do think that the 5G, the early 5G products that came out this year were just lip service to the carriers.
0: No, absolutely. And I mean, I'm glad for OnePlus that they got a custom version of the one seven, OnePlus 7 Pro for Sprint, you know, as a 5G device. That's cool because that got them to another carrier. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see the OnePlus 7T uh, land on on another carry in the us sometime soon um i'm sure they're working on that i would do oh you, it. you
1: don't have any inside information here no not, no i'm not just hint
0: i'm totally not I, this is my my wish and it seems to make sense in my gut that they would want to do that but i don't know anything that's in progress for that uh speaking of other phones that are affordable a mid-range uh, flagships or affordable flagships versus premium flagship is how I've been kind of naming these phones. Like, you know, the Google Pixel Four falls in the premium flagship category, and the OnePlus Plus Seven T comes falls in the flag in the affordable flagship category. But they're both flagships; they're just cheaper. Uh, Oppo is turning that Reno line into a complete nightmare of a. Uh, skew uh nobody can keep track of all the new phones that are launched under the Reno brand i'm not trying to be mean to oppo i think the reno phones are cool i have a reno 2 here in my pocket and i think it's a very nice phone but there's a now a new one called the oppo reno ace with a Gundam edition because it's a gaming oriented phone it's not a gaming phone but it has you know gaming i don't know like it's got a maybe a 7 what is it, a 730g Snapdragon 730G. Yeah, DG. 730G is yeah. So it's a gaming it's optimized chip, but it's not a gaming phone. But anyway, they launched it this past week along with uh, a new charging technology. Uh, what a, I don't know what they call it now, SuperVOOC 9000. I'm I, I'm joking, but it's 30 minutes fully charged with a 65 watt charger. Uh, where do you think this madness is going to stop?
1: I don't think it'll stop. I mean, they might as well call it Firewatch. Because no, but, but, but they have
0: to stop because if you made a 100-watt charger, physically it would be bigger than a MacBook Pro charger.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, there's two options when you're charging a phone. You have to put the heat somewhere. It either has to be in the phone or in the charger. Um, and they're putting it in the charger, which means that the power banks are going to be bigger. and uh, and And it's just going to generate more heat at the wall. The other part of it, too, is, you know, these are lithium-ion batteries, which mm-hmm. explode if they're damaged, and putting more current through them yeah, has a higher chance of generating heat, which le- could lead to battery uh, battery explosions. And I'm not saying that Oppo or OnePlus or any of these companies, Huawei, as they increase speed, they're not necessarily in- um, increasing the risk, but there is risk, and yeah. I don't know whether it's worth it.
0: No, I I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not opposed to this. I just, it's interesting to me that there's this kind of arms race that Oppo seems to be leading of who can charge a phone the fastest. And at this point, we're at 30 minutes with whatever VOOC number, uh, Super VOOC, whatever designation they call it. Uh, I was joking saying Super VOOC 9000 earlier, but it could be
1: pretty much. It does sound pretty good. It it does sound good,
0: right? Yeah. So anyway... uh, if it's 30 minutes with a 65 watt charger now and the the chargers are pretty big obviously because of that which is one drawback um the way they're doing it is interesting part of it is the battery formulation you can uh, use um uh what's it called nanotechnology uh carbon nanotubes is a great way to make uh new lithium batteries that are to charge faster Uh, And also by having multiple uh, cells inside the phone, instead of a single cell, you can parallel charge them. So you're charging a whole bunch of smaller packs rather than charging one big pack. They did that with, I think the Oppo R17 was the first to use two packs instead of one. So this might use three packs. And then of course, current and voltage. You combine high voltage, like 28 volts is what laptops use uh, for USB-C. And then uh, high current. So like if you use 28 volts at two amps, Uh, The current is still manageable, 2 amps is reasonable for charging a lithium-ion battery, but you now have 28 volts coming in there. The challenge is to convert that high voltage that you're charging the cells with back into a lower voltage that the phone can use. So there's going to be some circuitry in there to do that. So that's kind of an engineering look at it. But, you know, it's not rocket science. It's just, as you said, like there's a a limit here and they're going to hit it soon And not only that, but do you really need that? I think an hour to fully charge your phone is kind of a sweet spot. I think the the 30 to 45 watt charging is a sweet spot. Um, And it still makes the adapter reasonable size. Uh, But anything beyond that, I feel like you're starting to play with fire, maybe possibly literally. And you are starting to have a a battery pack that's insane. But it's worth mentioning, which is why I brought it up, you know?
1: Look, I I think it's admirable that these companies are competing on charging speed, right? Um, phones are getting more powerful; they're using more battery. This needs to be a thing. But I'd prefer companies focus on wireless charging speed yeah. if they're going to do anything. You know, Wa- Huawei seems to be the only company really pushing that side. Forward.
0: Xiaomi as well. Xiaomi is really pushing hard. They have uh, I think twenty eight watt uh, wireless, twenty seven watt wireless charging now.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's the same as the yeah, Mate same 30 as the Pro. Mate
0: Thirty Pro. Yeah, yeah. They announced nice. that with the uh, the latest uh, Me Mi Mix, not Me Mi Mix, Alpha? the Me, Mi, the, the, the Mi, Alpha, not right? the Alpha. That's the prototype. I'm talking about the last production, the Me Nine Pro, Me Nine Pro.
1: You know what? I I applaud you for having for being able to keep up with all of the Oppo Vivo, um, you know, sub and, and their sub brands. Like all of those models. I just, I don't know how you remember what they are.
0: Well, it's hard. I don't always remember properly. No, the other thing is that um, the reason I do is because I think the Chinese phones are the most innovative phones today. I think they're very interesting, at least in terms of hardware. Um, software is always a bit of a of another story. Uh, but I also feel that it's important because a lot of my audience is like, I think the third largest part of my audience is in India. And so they get these phones. And so for me, it's important to have some content that they can directly relate to, you know. That's great. Um Speaking of phones we can't get in the US or in, even in India, uh, Sony launched an Xperia 8 in Japan. I, I'm literally not going to say anything more because we should wrap up, but there is now an Xperia 8, which is j- unique to Japan. I will have a link in the show notes about it. Uh, it it's something I wanted to cover last week, but uh, we fell through the cracks. So check that out. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to quickly say is that I wanna thank Sony for uh, inviting me to an event here in New York yesterday about 360 Reality Audio, which is this latest technology. It's very similar to Dolby Atmos and they've been working on it for a while and they presented it at CS. And I got a chance to listen to it for the first time yesterday. And it's quite impressive. I mean, as somebody who's worked in video game audio before I was a journalist and really is a bit of an audiophile, it's not my thing. But I have to say that it it is impressive, and they are potentially onto something. And so, very soon you'll be able to download some. So it requires content that's created for it. So very soon you'll be able to download content from Deezer and Tidal that will support this this audio technology, which doesn't require special hardware. It's all software based, so uh, it should work on most uh, any hardware with any headphones. Uh, but it will require special content. So. That's something that I want to talk about some more in the future show once I actually get to try it out and A, B, compare it to some of, you know, like in-house in, in, in a quiet spot where I can really do that. But I just wanted to let you know that... That Sony, sounds really
1: exciting. Sony's doing I'm something
0: really again. Yeah, and you know, Sony, it's always a little tricky when they do something because they tend to still like... A lot of it is to do with partnerships with, you know, musicians and record labels and stuff. And there's always this... Weird fear that it's not going to take off because it's so complicated. There's so many moving parts. But I'm all for us finding ways to enjoy audio in an even better way. So I had to come and check it out. So I want to thank them for having me. And speaking of, Daniel, I want to thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've been wanting to come on your show for so long. And uh, I need to return the favor. So if, if any of your listeners... Um, also listen to the Android Central podcast. Expect to hear you on there I would
0: love to love to be there. I'm going to now give you a chance to tell people where they can find you on the internet.
1: Super simple. You can find me at journeydan, so it's journeyman with a D, at Twitter, Instagram, all the things. And you can find my work and all of my colleagues' work at androidcentral.com.
0: Yes, you should read Android Central. is by far the definitive source of all things Android, so
1: check it well, out. Thank you. No, it's, I, I don't think so. We got a lot of good competition. Out well, there, you know, obviously, so, I also we do good work.
0: I also write stories for Android Police, but I think that you know, competition is healthy, and I'm always a big fan of your coverage. So, thank you. That yeah. means a lot. Um, You folks all know where to find me. I'm at Tanker on Twitter and Instagram. That's like the comic book character Tanker without the vowels, T-N-K-G-R-L. So go find my Twitter. If you want to comment on the podcast, comment there. Tell me what your thoughts are. Tell me what I did wrong. I would love to hear it. Tell me what I did right. Also, uh, there's a YouTube channel that goes as a podcast, youtube.com slash Miriam That's my full name without a space. So if you go to Twitter, you can see my name miriam space joar just remove the space tack that on to the end of youtube.com slash and you will get the awesome youtube channel uh, it's basically a bunch of complementary content to this podcast extra videos hands-ons unboxings that kind of stuff so if you want to see some visuals to go along with your listening experience check out the youtube channel please subscribe like tell your friends uh click the little notification icon all that stuff and of course, you know, the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. If it's your first time on the show and you're like, where the hell did this come from? Well, there it is. You can subscribe. There's an RSS feed there, but also I'm on all the major platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, uh, Stitcher, I'm in everywhere. Uh, so just go and look for mobile tech podcast, subscribe, and again, spread the word. I can use your love. There's a bunch of deals on my blog, tankgirl.com. Tankgirl, just like the Twitter handle tnkgrl.com. If you're looking for buying a phone and you want to get a better deal, potentially, go check out the blog posts. I post regularly some some, uh, Amazon links and Gearbest links for good phone deals. And then finally, I want to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Audible is the awesomest platform for audiobooks. If you for whatever reason cannot read a book physically on paper or e-ink maybe you're driving all day you're a delivery driver and you want to listen to books audible is your best choice so check it out Uh, audible.com has been with us almost since the beginning of the show and i really want to thank them for being there as a little present to you guys there is a link in the show notes for a, a deal so if you want to try out audible There is a URL you can uh, click on. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And if you click through there, you support the podcast. So the deal is you get 30 day trial and you can uh, decide to renew or continue or end after that. But no matter what, you get to keep one of the books you download And, you know, there's tons of selection. I recently listened to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy again, because that was cool. And then, you know, there's like a lot of books read by the authors and everything. So audible.com, check it out. Thanks to Audible for being awesome and a supporter of the show. And thanks again, Daniel, for being my guest. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, stay tuned. We'll have another show next week. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit
1: us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.